to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, and welcome back. For this episode, I meet up with Kololo Luckett, an art historian, writer, cultural producer, and curator. She also works as the Arts Commissioner for the City of Pittsburgh and as the curator for the August Wilson Center. With over 20 years of experience in the arts, culture, and community and economic development fields, she is committed to making art and culture more accessible. This past summer, I sat down with Kalolo to chat. Just before the recording, we were both caught in a sudden heavy rainstorm, but everything turned out okay as we discussed Adrian Piper, the pronunciation of non-white names, and the white lens. Kilolo's most recent show, Familiar Boundaries, Infinite Possibilities, just opened at the August Wilson Center and runs through until March 24th, 2019. The exhibition is beautiful, so please go and check out the show. I had so much fun talking with Kilolo, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I oftentimes go there to see shows, you know, mm-hmm. so I just saw the Adrian Piper show, Whoa. you know. Whoa. That was a good show, right? Oh my gosh. That's the largest exhibition. Of her work? Of an artist ever, apparently. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like the expansiveness of her work, the body of her mm. work that was presented. Um, it encompassed like a lot of space. Yeah. Um, there's this article have it in my little folder of articles to read. That's yeah. what I'll be reading some of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one writer, his name escapes me, but I've read several of his writings, um, essays over the years. His name is just escaping me right now. Yeah. But he wrote about that show and her and about that she hadn't seen the show. Like at all. Yeah, so that's why, I, once again, I've not really delved in Berlin, into, into the show. So, I mean, into that, yeah. that article. So that's one of mm. my articles that I'm going to read yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I love her work and just the breadth and depth mm-hmm. at which she has created. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm, I made a huge effort to go there, even though it's out of my way, because... I knew she's one of those artists who I knew a lot about, who I also know, who I also knew she wrote a lot, and I have um, a lot of her writings. But because she's so, I think, text-based, I'm not quite sure, but you just don't see her a lot, mm-hmm. right? Like, I can't imagine many institutions buying her work, much less be able, being able to have a context for it to make sense, yes. right? Like, yeah. Like, you know, her early text pieces, like it next to like a Damien Hirst painting, it just doesn't make sense. But you, it, it's easier to just put a painting next to Damien Hirst painting or sculpture than like her text piece. Right. And so having that much space devoted to contextualizing it, I thought was wonderful and also a chance to see things in a way that I would never have a chance to see for a long time. Definitely. I was intrigued. I'm sorry. I know we, 
Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, yeah. Like, what's Let, your let's phone? Inter- yeah, 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 yeah. Let's introduce. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, right I'm now, sorry. I'm right sorry. now, I'm interviewing Kalola Luckett, and uh, we're, um, we've just sort of been on a tangent doing whatever, talking whatever is interesting. Uh, have you been recording? Yeah. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Okay. Because I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm like totally talking, and are we rolling or not? So, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to sit up straight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stand up. Good thing uh, in there. Pouring rain. This is I know. A podcast. We it's just, audio, and you don't have to see what I look like yeah. because of the rain. So. Yeah, we yeah. just ran from the garage and got soaked, and then now it's not raining. Yeah, and just our luck. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, Kalil, why don't you start off with telling us a little bit about um you, what you do, um, and the and the different organizations you work with. All right. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's thank really- you. Great to speak with you ahead of time and for us to kind of converse. Um, yeah, my name is Kalolo Luckett, and I'm an art historian, cultural producer, and the other C word curator. Uh, <laughs> I say it with a little C. Yeah, I was like, "What C word are you thinking?" Gravitas of the curator. I curate this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm a curator for all intents purposes. Uh-huh. People like titles, so I'll be like, "Okay, yes, yeah. I'm a curator." Yeah, I organize. Our, our minds inherently categorize things. So. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I'm art historian, cultural producer, and mm-hmm. curator. So, with that being said, writing has to do with all of my quote-unquote titles. Right, right. So, and a lot of research. I mean, live in libraries, and the libraries in my head, too, yeah. as far as filing and all of that good stuff. I love so, libraries. Me, too. I don't know. My first, one of my first recollections uh, as a child is being in a library. Mm. So, um, I sort of had to fall into, fall in love with them much later in life. Okay. It wasn't until I think a few years after undergrad that I actually started falling in love with books and reading. Uh, late bloomer. Hey, that's okay. I, I mean, I got my love of libraries from my mother. Yeah. Um, my parents tried, they tried. Okay. It's just maybe it wasn't the right mindset. All right. And now I can't wait to have my own place so I can unpack all my books. So and buy more books. Yeah, you know. So that's the current state I'm in. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that's all right. No, no. I was just visualizing my stacks of books. Yeah, in my writing room and yeah, in our guest bedroom and just all over the place. I love it. Yeah, and my bookshelves too. <laughs> so um, yeah, but we were talking about Adrian Piper that show. Yeah. I was so intrigued by watching, not only like looking at her work, but watching, observing the people Mm, that were encountering her work. Yeah, yeah. And even when it was participatory, most people declined or didn't read things. Yeah, yeah. Just like when you had to walk through the space where they had the two- The whistling? uh, Yes, security guards. I I love that piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. And even when you went upstairs- um, to the 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 entrance of her show, uh-huh. where um, you had those boots, kind of like the vote the voting boots, mm-hmm, yeah, where those the, mm-hmm. with the black doors, and it had those different images, yeah, yeah. And um, some people seemed to be a little alarmed that the door was going to swing it behind them, huh. so they kind of pro- you know left it open. Yeah. Um, some people just went in there and they were just perusing; they were yeah. just looking at what folks wrote. Yeah. Um, but I made sure I went into all three of them and wrote in just a simple question that she asks and who writes it and, you know, from what perspective. Yeah. And then even at the end, did you, uh, give your information 
you, you, there was like there's I think those yeah yeah three. it was it was like the contract piece yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I did not because I. I arrived at two, okay, and then I closed at five. And even after three hours, I had to basically like breeze through that last mm-hmm. room, like the space right after the whistling room. Mm-hmm. I basically had to breeze through it, okay. And then the guards were slowly walking towards us, you know, right. pushing us out. So yeah, but that piece I actually saw at the Venice Biennale. Oh, okay, that's where it first happened. And I remember that was the first time I truly encountered a work, and I thought, just devoid of context, I was not interested in it. I was like. I was like, eh, I don't want to sign this contract. Was it like, like right. you know, like it just, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me how, how to contextualize it. But in mm-hmm. that space, it was contextualized, which is again, going back to like why I felt it was important to see her work yes, in the context. Cause I did like her writing. I did like what I knew of her work, mm-hmm. but you know, even when I saw it at the Venice Biennale, I was like, eh, I don't know, like mm-hmm. wasn't doing it. And I knew why. So I wanted to give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was pretty immersive exhibition yeah wow yeah you couldn't do it in one sitting I mean I didn't I mean I I was there for let's say like five hours but yeah um I took little breaks yeah 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 but um and I love that video at the entrance where she's just dancing in Berlin yes I love that video mm-hmm. it's just very whimsical and she's just doing it and right mm-hmm. so what else are you um, gonna be editing any of this I, or you just let it I, roll. I usually let it roll. Um, oh, wow. Okay. If there's, if there's anything that uh, in particular you want me to take out. But usually I just edit it to take out the ums and spaces. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I'll try to be mindful of my ums. Yeah. It's hard, <laughs> right? It's like a placeholder to mm-hmm. how to think. Um, see, there, I just did it. So why don't you um, start off with where you oh, grew yeah, you up? Oh, you asked me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, I'm originally from Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi, come from the South, the deep South. Um, what brought me up North was my family and my parents. Um, my dad went to graduate school in Ohio. For what? Um, political science. This was back in the seventies. Okay. So the affirmative action and a lot of schools wanting to open up their, yeah their universities to non-white people and international folks. So that was an opportunity for my parents to, mm. you know, leave the South. Right, right. Um, but a lot of my relatives that did leave the South, as folks call the Great Migration, but one can argue, was it really a Great Migration as for better, you know, opportunities? However, right. I have family in Chicago that moved from Mississippi, mm-hmm. family in Detroit. Right, you know, right. they've moved around, but right. the north, you know, exodus up north was yeah. Chicago for the most part. So for your family, for my family, yeah. yes. But then I have a lot of family in the south still. Right, a lot right. of my family members live in Mississippi because my parents, when they divorced, they actually moved back to Mississippi separate times. Okay, so yeah, so I have deep roots. My Veins are deeply embedded with the South. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm proud of being in the South. Yeah. I always say a lot of great writers come from the South. What do you th- why do you think that is? Um, I, just, I think that the slowness, mm. the cadence, yeah. the environment, I mean, the fresh air, the colors, uh, it's so vibrant yeah. as far as the environment goes that – Makes you think slowly, which is what you need to write and read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and hear yourself. Yeah. There's so much noise in the north. 
Mm. Uh, and that's another reason why I love going back there. Mm. I couldn't live there full time, but I do appreciate uh, not only the history, but understanding kind of like the ills of what's going on today right. is entrenched in the South, yeah. but it has, you know, the veins, the, the roots grow, you know, north and west mm-hmm. and east. Right. So, I mean, we can't escape history. No, we can't, but we can expand it, yeah. which it is desperately in need of it. Yeah. You can't put it back in the box. Yeah. You know, so it's... It's a different place. I was I was in uh, Atlanta and Montgomery uh, okay. a few weeks ago. I think it. Which did you go to? Uh, I went to Atlanta. I knew I knew an artist there, so okay. I stayed with him. And then I went to Montgomery to check out that uh, new memorial. Yeah, yeah. Injustice Memorial. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going to there. Yeah, I'm, I mean it's heavy. That it, stuff's heavy. It is heavy. Um, being in the South is heavy, but also I love it that people are pretty forthcoming on how they feel. It's not like what people see right now with, you know, white supremacy and it, it's, 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 it's a very different way of interacting with people. There's that facade up north. Yeah, that's what people say. People say in the south, at least people admit that they're racist, whereas in the north they pretend they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I appreciate that. Um, but I, I do like living up north. But yeah, but um, I'm from Mississippi, and then I grew up in small towns. Pittsburgh is the largest city I've ever lived in. Uh, I came here for college. Uh, you went to Pitt? I went to Pitt. Yeah. Yes. Don't ever want to repeat that again. Really? Yeah, I, I wasn't uh, fond of my experience there. No. That could be for another time. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm always questioning things. I was always a curious child. Yeah. And... I, my mother always quoted John Lewis, The Good Trouble. So she raised a good trouble child. Mm. And I have brothers. I'm the only girl. Yeah. So fending for myself. Yeah. And plus my brothers are always like, no, she doesn't need to be taken care of. Because <laughs> I was just always pretty forthright. Yeah. Uh, very curious, but respectful. Yeah. But being a girl, people are always like, why are you so precocious? Why are you asking these questions? Yeah. yeah. So, why are you being so aggressive? Yeah, yeah, the whole aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just being me. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I came here because I, I couldn't afford Cornell, mm. and just so happened going to Pitt and changed my major to art history. They have a really good program. Yeah. But going to Pitt, I, I had some really great professors, but I had some pretty awful professors who did a lot of hazing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, you know, you have your, your PhD teaching and you, you are supposed to be this expert in a certain period or, you know, be more specific, you know, a certain group collective yeah. um, or one particular artist in their period. And you can't escape the history of colonialism mm-hmm. and how that plays out yeah. in society, mm-hmm. both politically and, you know, environment, mm-hmm. uh, you name it. Yeah. it. It is a global phenomenal yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, colonialism is, yeah. and it has implications everywhere. Right. And so uh, how artists approach their work, um, because how one's taught mm-hmm. is really through this Western lens. 
And so the white male gaze is very prominent. Right. Um, Whether, you know, the white female figure is always being objectified. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there's this absence of, as we call it, other Mm -hmm. non-white people. Right, right. So that's something I've always been acutely aware of because of the spaces that I navigate through. Yeah. And so there's something that I was taught as a young child, you're going to have to navigate these spaces and you can't uh, take yourself for granted, but you can't say, woe is me either, because it's a fact of life. So you got to figure out how you're going to navigate these spaces. And so that's just something that I've always, okay, I tend to come do things like, okay, try not to have high expectations. Um, but I'm very critical of things. Yeah. I'm very critical. Uh, I have that Southern charm, but I'm also a Scorpio. So <laughs> it's like, woo, that's a kind of, as one of my brothers says, it's a one, two, yeah. you know, TK. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like colonialism should be taught in as part of history. I don't think it really is taught in the way that we're talking about it. You know, like at least the effects of it. You know, we know like white men came to all over the world and took over, but like, what does that actually mean? Right. Or like, what does it mean and how does it affect um, societies and the way our decisions are made today? Uh, the economics the of it. The economics of it, where you live, where how families or even how people think of themselves post-colonialism. Because I never really was taught that. And I think also for me, it's, it was easier to not think about it as an Asian male because Asians are model minorities. It's easy for us. But I think I didn't really think too much about it until I started really getting back into art because then I then had to confront me making my art about my identity and then it being forced and seen mostly and primarily through a white lens and through a white way of talking. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and working, you know, you talked about identity, but it's on your own terms and not right. somebody else looking at it. You know, through this filtered European gaze of fetishizing. Yeah. It brings me back to some of the things you're saying. Brings me back to school and, you know, Orientalism. Yeah. That term itself. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading Edward Zaid's book. I'm almost done with it. His Orientalism book. You know that book? Yes. Yeah. Uh I'd love to talk to you more about this and some other time too because – yeah, I, I, some of my uh, Asian American friends, but then also first generation uh-huh. American yeah. friends who are from different places in Asia, yeah. uh, Japan, Taiwan, uh, and talking about this and these dynamics of colonialism yeah. and being a black woman and my friends being of Asian descent yeah. and bleaching creams and I mean, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very much embedded in how we think yeah. and how we perceive one another and ourselves. Uh, and so that's something else that we could talk about yeah. another time. Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing with Black Panther yeah, and how that movie, when it, you know, movies and how. Was it, was it, was it, you mean how Black Panther was released in Asian countries? Yes. Oh, I didn't, I don't know. What's that? What's, yeah. what's the controversy? Um, because even the marketing, you know, with different right. demographics, right. The, what we see in America, yeah. as far as trailers go, they're different. Right. Uh, and 
I was, because I don't mean to jump around, but even like social media. So I, you know, there's this thing of like black Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Then they yeah. have Latinx mm-hmm. Twitter, mm-hmm. Asian Twitter. Yeah. So there's certain people that I follow on Twitter yeah. and Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and looking at how they kind of parse this out. Right, and talk and have yeah. conversations. Yeah. yeah, and there's some really interesting uh, intersections of how we as others, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. I like to say non-white people, talk about this. And I think, especially with some of my Asian American friends, they're kind of like the first generation to really speak out against this or up mm. with their family about bleaching creams. Right, and, right, right. Oh my gosh, this is awful to see all these black characters. Yeah. Why aren't they our white people? Yeah, or, yeah. you know, whitewashing Hollywood and yeah. so... Manga, uh, all of this stuff. Yeah. So these are some conversations that I have with some of my Asian American friends. Yeah. When we usually don't talk about this in front of our white friends. Right, right. Or if we do, it's kind of a little cheeky. Or muted. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Muted or, you know, aware that the conversation can get really uh, complicated if like some perceptions of how the world works are completely different, Mm -hmm. you know. Definitely. And then you have to like, okay, do we have to go and explain this now? Right. You know? Yeah. There's that code switching that has to ha- yeah. that happens. Yeah. And, you know, some of my white friends, I'll just, a pretty, not too many of them, but a few of them, I'm pretty much open, yeah. but a lot of my white friends or acquaintances, I tend to filter and hold back. Yeah. I'm not being my full self. Yeah. Because that comes with a lot of other complications. Yeah. Uh, so I'd rather self-preservation, just shield myself yeah. from all of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even some of my closest white friends are like, oh, or I'll say something one day and they'll be like, oh, they'll, they'll feel hurt. And I'm like, wow, you have not spent any time in my household with my white husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's everything, right? It's like, I think The Onion had an article... I think a few years ago, it's like white people discovering that their Asian friend has a whole another set of Asian friend group that isn't that they've never seen or heard about. And then a few of my friends, like, is this true? I was like, yeah, it's just different. Yes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. I mean, I know my white friends have their white friends. Yeah, of And course. hey, yeah. that's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but it's when you feel like you need to, you, you're, you're, you need to ex- actively exclude somebody or think yeah. because- they're with a certain group of people yeah. that I'm missing out yeah. or I want this control. I'm uh, totally uninterested in that. Right, right, right. So, yeah. uh, and, I mean, I get the dynamics of that. And we all have preferences. Yeah. We all discriminate. But I'm not saying what I do is better than what you do. Yeah, yeah. And I want to control what you're doing. So that's a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I think I'm preaching the choir here, but uh, no. still it's just saying this and putting it out there. Yeah, no. And, and it is, it, it, it's not a one off. It's not one time thing that you do this. You got to actively on an ongoing basis, yeah. make this a priority Yeah, because like colonialism, it's how else are you going to dismantle it? How are you going white supremacy? I mean, there's just people who are going to just always be like that. Yeah. But for people that I do care about, we're all going to, as I say, skin our knees. Yeah. And we just have to get back up. And some days it's harder than others. Yeah. 
Uh, and so with the work that I do, I've still thought about your question. I haven't forgotten about no it. Worries. I've always, I've always known that being in these white spaces, growing up in schools, being in these small towns, mm-hmm. that especially with my name, people wanting to shorten my name. Which first name? Yeah. Being what, Kilolo what? or Kilolo. Because people are like, how do you say it? I say, like, well, say it. And people are like, I'm nervous. I'm like, come on. Can you say kilowatt? Can you say kilometer? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or as my mom says, Tchaikovsky. If they can say that, they can say your name. Yeah. So Big I- Lebowski, Big Lebowski. Right, yeah. right. What other weird names people can pronounce? I Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Like, who the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. you know. They can sure enough pronounce my name. Yeah. But just because it's not Kelly or Christine. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. Bob. People automatically just get overwhelmed. Yeah. And it tends to be white people that are like that. Just growing up. I mean, because my teachers were white. Yeah. And I always, thankfully, I'm just so thankful for my mother, who's not physically on this earth, but I'm just very, very thankful for my mother to tell me, like, just speak up. Just tell them, yep, that's my name. Yeah. And I never, ever said I had a nickname, although I had a nickname, but yeah. you're not my family. You don't know me. You're not, you're not getting yeah. off like that. Yeah. So just at, at a young age. Knowing that I was always this non-Kelly or non-Christine yeah. Yeah. that I saw as my mom says, you're going to be the eye of the fish. Yeah. And so you got to navigate. You got to swim your way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to come up for air. You got to dip, you know, go yeah. back down deep. And so looking at the world like that made me feel pretty confident as a child. Yeah. Uh, I never sought out to be popular or anything like that in that yeah. sense. But just knowing that I had a different name right. didn't mean that I was less than. And so it's the way my mom couched it as you're the eye of the fish. Yeah. And so you're seeing other things other people aren't. And so I don't know what my brothers were like. Do they have I, easy names or no? No, my brothers don't. However, they're boys. Mm. And that had its own privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were like the only black kid in their class. Yeah, yeah. You know, and some of my brothers, oh my God, my one brother is just so precocious and super hyper smart. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, uh, but just from, you know, talking about myself, yeah. um, you know, I was just always aware of that. And yeah. so I, I just, you know, you had to code switch, that double consciousness, yeah, all of that, all yeah. of that. And so it's like, okay, yeah, I know this history of the European culture, yeah. but I also am taught at home, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on with black culture. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to, to, you know, you have to be in this world to be, you know, survive in this world knowing those spaces, right. but it still doesn't, there's no guarantee no. that you're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I'm constantly working and working hard and reading. And that's why I love books and rereading books and knowing that, unfortunately, a lot of the books that were in my social studies class haven't really changed. Mm. Uh, uh, talking to some of my nieces and nephews, yeah, looking at their books, I'm like, oh my gosh. For example, the only thing you know about black people in history or American history, George Washington Carver, or, you know, with, with Lincoln and Lincoln... You know, man- yeah, white, yeah. White, white savior. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then fast forward to, you know, Rosa Parks sitting on refusing to get up, uh, give her seat up on the bus to yeah. Martin Luther King, who's good. Malcolm X is bad. 
didn't even talk about the Black Panther. So it was always like that. That was like Did they the talk about of, Ronnie King. I'm trying to remember. Well, how this I was learned. before my, you know, that, yeah, that was yeah. after. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 this was like more like the 80s for me. Okay. I mean, I was a 70s child, but yeah. coming of age in the 80s. Yeah. With hip hop and mm. that, that was just something that I was, I've always been aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because I, I know in navigating these spaces, these white spaces, like I said, it's a matter of picking and choosing mm-hmm. and knowing how to navigate. Sometimes I fall on my face. Other times, sometimes it works. Yeah, but um, coming out of school, I one of my first jobs out of college was working at Wood Street Galleries mm-hmm. as a curatorial assistant. And once again, it was a white space. Mm-hmm. Uh, never organized a show of non-white artists except for Zhu Bing. Mm-hmm. And other than that, I mean, there was a small little... Jacob Lawrence show, but that was because of some collectors. But mm. um, it wasn't as robust as the main programming right, that was right. happening in those spaces. And I mean, I loved electronic media, video installations, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, we did something on Nam June Pike for the sculpture conference. But anyway, once again, but but for the most part, it was male too. Yeah. Louise Bourgeois was probably the only other, the only female artist that I remember yeah. call ever that I worked on but um but but anyway I, I just constantly like working in these spaces working at Pittsburgh Filmmakers yeah, working yeah, at the yeah. Warhol mm-hmm. I saw that I was always this first person black person in this position right, ever right. and I, I just kind of forgot about that and I was like I just want to do my work yeah but it kept coming back in different conversations yeah, absolutely um so and I'm like, okay, it's always, oh, we didn't have these problems so you got there. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, huh? So I'm a problem here. So those those kind of things. Yeah. So so that just for my own health, I was like, I gotta step back. I can't be in that crossfires that way. So setting out to do work outside of those mainstreams, although I'm still very much a part of it, but I felt like I have at that time, I felt like I, you know, you have this position, you're a director of a department, yet you really didn't have full authority like right. other directors in different departments mm-hmm. um, or people always second guessing, triple guessing you. Yeah. So I'd have to be strategic and have somebody in my department say the things that I wanted to get done. Right. So, or they don't even know how to contextualize what you're doing. No, you know? right. I mean, that's also the, another major issue is like they can't even um, – they don't even know the history of it, so they can't even see how to even look at it, you know? Right. Yeah. Or I think a lot about like forcing artists of color's works into a white lens that doesn't always make sense. I've heard this multiple times of, you know, artists of color's work and then it being criticized as like – you know, not working as, in the same way that an artist like Ellsworth Kelly's work works. And it's like, it shouldn't be contextualized in that way. Like, you would not say that, um, you know, Beyonce's work should be more like Beethoven's, mm-hmm. right? It's just, just such, such a weird right. critique, but that's also the frame of reference that right. is being forced into. And if you want to have a dialogue in that way, it's not oftentimes useful. You bring up a really good point. I think about the classics. Yeah. Yeah, who's, what's, the, what's in the canon? Exactly. And you think about, oh, classical music or 
orchestral music, the classics or literary classics. Yeah. Once again, that always looks at Europe as this standard bearer of what is high brow elite. However, there's classics in so many different capacities. Right. You know, different jazz Mm -hmm. musicians and music Mm -hmm. are classics. Right. Uh, So even country music, and and people might poo-poo country music. There's certain country music I like because country music gets its roots from black culture. Mm -hmm. So so anyway, that's a whole other thing. But once again, the, 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 the thing that we put on a pedestal tends to be always pointing back to you know, the white canon. Yeah, the yeah. white canon. Yeah. And once again, words matter. Mm-hmm. We need to say this because that's why I tend to say, oh, I, I, I try not, I try to be more mindful of how, what I say and yeah, how yeah. I say it and giving context. Because yeah. we talked about a little bit about this, about this word diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion and accessibility. Yeah. I always ask people to qualify. What does that mean for you? Yeah. For example, when I worked at the Warhol, and plus a lot of philanthropic philanthropic community praised the Warhol for being so diverse. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask people there, and this has once again made them uncomfortable, uh, it may be different if it wasn't a black woman asking them, what does diversity mean for you working in this institution? Right, right, right. Had it been a white male asking them, maybe they like would- Like queer man. Yeah, yeah, right. So that's the thing. Oh, we're queer. And I'm thinking, that's great. Yeah. However, it is this white queer lens. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking if that's all we have, you know, that's still the default. You know, so so that's once again when people say, oh, there's women. I mean, well, women aren't a minority. And yeah. anyway, black and brown people aren't a minority. Yeah. We're not. We're the global majority. But I do think that that's what's making a lot of a lot of white people fearful yeah. that the history of colonialism, they think, not all white people, but a lot of white people fear that we are going to do to them what happened to us. Yeah. And I, don't, I could care less. I'm like, I just want to live my life, <laughs> yeah. do good on this earth yeah. while I'm here. Yeah. And that's really it. Yeah. I just want to live a fulfilling life and I don't want to be rich. I mean, not even 10% or 80%. I mean, it's, it's this whole idea of wealth. Yeah. I mean, billionaires, there's, that is obscene. That is, that is, I think that that talking about illegal, I mean, that should not be something that somebody wants to obtain to be a billionaire. That does not make any sense to me to be a billionaire. Why on earth would you? It just blows my mind when all these there's so much poverty and people living low income. I mean, nobody should be living in poverty. There should not be homelessness. Yeah, you know. So 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 anyway. So the 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 institutions that I worked in, I was great that I was navigated those spaces, but it came at a cost. Yeah, health wise for me, and and you slowly kind of. You know, if you code switch enough, you almost don't notice yourself changing. Yeah. You know? Yes, yeah. And so I had to do something about it. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And so what did you do? I'm 
So I, I, I just went out to do my own thing. Yeah. And that was at a big risk. I mean, thankfully, I have a husband, but he's an architect. Architects are like art historians. Yeah. What? Like artists. They're not in it for the money. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, architects don't make much money. Yeah. You know, but still, I mean, having a husband, we have a house. We're very fortunate. Uh, we're scrappy. Yeah. Um, but we're very giving and supportive of one another. And so it was a big risk for me to go out and do my own thing. But right. I knew deep down that that's what I needed to do. And so I just sat, you know, started out doing the things that I've always wanted to do in these institutions, but were unable to do because of that very, the, the, the institutional stagnation mm -hmm. that uh, is deeply embedded. I would, I mean, in Pittsburgh, because I live here, but it's all across America. Yeah. But I do think somehow, some for some reason, Pittsburgh, because we're so inward and parochial, and we, most people don't travel outside I'm of- I'm proud of it too. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Uh, like we've got the Pittsburgh left. Yeah. And somehow that makes sense here. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's some hometown charm that I really like. I mean, yeah. if I didn't love Pittsburgh, I wouldn't be here because mm -hmm. I have had plenty of opportunities yeah. to go elsewhere. But I'm in it to to expand what is here. Yeah, um, We have these great institutions. We have these great foundations. But it is, once again, like I said, you know, it's about these conversations and these persistent and consistent conversations of, Talking to heads and senior position leaders in, in, in these foundations, institutions, getting to know them, mm -hmm. uh, telling them, showing them like how you care and also why they should care too. And so I, I, I've always said I've never seen, and I've lived here half my life, I've never seen a black curator. Mm. Why is that? I've never seen a black director. Why is that? I've never seen a survey show of a black artist. Why is that? And I'm not talking about these one-off, oh, we had this thing and don't show me Teeny Harris. Yeah. Love Teeny. Teeny is very important, but don't keep waving that in my face as if that's yeah. your pass. Yeah. Um, why is Teeny segregated? That's a whole other conversation. And I know some people say, oh, we're preserving, this is the you know archive, all this stuff, but... Mm -hmm. You'd never do that to Andy Warhol. You'd mm -hmm. never do that to Andrew Carnegie. Mm -hmm. And so those are, once again, how we rationalize otherness. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I said, okay, well, I want to see black curators. I want to see black art critics. Right. I'm going to bring them to Pittsburgh. And so I started a project called By Any Means. Mm -hmm. And once again, I wasn't affiliated with any institution. I wasn't an artist. Uh, so I was in between or outside the margins. Right, right. I didn't qualify for grant opportunities because I wasn't part of an institution and I wasn't an artist. So right. I was like, you know, I'm an art historian, a cultural producer. And so foundation was like, well, your idea is really, not, yeah, I really like what you're doing, but why can't you go through this museum to yeah, do this? Yeah. And I said, well, I've actually talked to them and, 
Um, they essentially think that I'm going to make them look bad because they haven't done this because they haven't had any black hair. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. And I'm thinking, I'm not here to make you look bad. I'm here to work with you. Yeah. So we can do better. Yeah. And in turn, we all benefit from this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Pittsburgh deserves this. And watching my friends in other institutions go through this mm-hmm. and that more other institutions, other cities. Yeah are trying, you know, they're, they're going for it. You know, they have stumbling blocks as well, but they're actually doing it. And so I'm thinking, you got to get out there. You got to play out in the field to see how things work. Right. So, so I was like, okay, I'm going to bring these people to Pittsburgh. And so I didn't qualify for any grants. And so what I ended up doing was, this is where I turned to my friends uh, and family. And I just started, I, you know, I wrote my proposal to myself had my husband and some other close friends read it yeah. to say, hey, I'm going to ask people for money, individual. Yeah. I'm going to ask individual. This pre-Kickstarter? No, this was during Kickstarter, oh, during- but I didn't go to, to oh, okay. crowdfunding for okay. that. I just mm-hmm. did my own like letter writing, yeah. emails, phone yeah. calls, yeah, yeah. meeting with people for coffee, kind of mm-hmm. like what I did when I worked at the Warhol, mm-hmm. but for my own projects. Right, right. And so I ended up raising like fifteen thousand dollars. Wow, that's amazing! In a short period of time. So then I went back to the foundations and I said, "Hey, I've raised individual donor money. This is and usually that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. but typically people, you know, go to foundations. And so in a way, it worked out for me because I showed like, hey, I want, and I use my own money too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have much money of anything, but anyway, I cared so much about this. I'm going to use my own money, right, to do this. You find a way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it that, you know. Many nights of ramen. Uh, what did you say? <laughs> Many nights of ramen. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you living my college days? Yeah, no. I, and my I adult just... life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I care deeply about this. And and so I went back to the foundations. I said, hey. And they were like, wow, okay. And, and some of the, the people that I wanted to bring here, they had they didn't know them. They didn't know about them. Yeah. And even some of these mainstream museums yeah. were vaguely familiar with some of the curators. They didn't know about the art critics. Mm-hmm. And so thankfully, once again, I you know, I had some friends in some of these institutions that yeah. at this point in time they were like, okay, well we'll give you, you know, we'll, you know, you can have this space, but then I had to rent the space and we don't want to co-present with you because there was always these excuses. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dragging mean, their feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, okay, I'm like, okay, there's another barrier hurdle mm-hmm. for me, but I'm going to do this. I don't care if I host this thing at my house. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to come. And at it's, least. It's a, it was a symposium, right? Yes, it was a symposium. Right. So um, so it was. I, I invited these people here, and I wanted them to connect with what's going on in Pittsburgh. Mm. So having individual artists that were nationally known, black curators, right. art critics coming here, and then they connected. So they were on this symposium with local people. and But I wanted this to be all black. There's something very important for an audience, a mixed audience, to see an all black-led yeah. panel, everything. I had my videographer was black, and so that's very important. I mean, it changes things. You just, you yeah. know, like we were talking about history is inescapable. I think that's why Black Panther, the movie, existed, was such a strange, wonderful, beautiful thing. Because it was strange because it never happened before. Right. Right, in the way that it did. And 
at least within the Asian community, a lot of the Asian community is excited for Crazy Rich Asians for the same thing. Yeah. I actually tried seeing it on Wednesday. They had an early showing at the waterfront, but it sold out. Oh, great. Yeah, all the Asians must have congregated. I'm looking forward to seeing that too. You know, but it's the same thing. It's like, you know, um, I think I was reading about, you know, how the costume designer in Black Panther had, you know, um, studied some part of African culture and how they sew and design the things. And that's a very different lens than than any other person who would do it, right? And And hair. Same thing with casting, (laughs) right? The hair, uh, the dialogue, like all those, you know, tiny little things that like if you, you know, didn't live there, it'll be different. Right. I'm not sure it'll be better, but it'll be different. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So, so I did it and, and I mean, I was, I did everything, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have money to pay somebody to do marketing. So I had to do the marketing Mm. and uh, transportation. Yeah. 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 I mean, my husband picked people up at the airport. I had friends of mine who drove, you know, Lyft or Uber and, but they, you know, I paid them Mm -hmm. directly to go pick people up. Um, but the thing is I paid folks to come here, mm-hmm. paid for their travel arrangements, their hotel, all of that stuff as if I were working, say at the Warhol. Um, and, but the really, really important thing was really connecting with the mainstream institutions, but also black people here. Right. We did studio visits, um, so they could see what else was going on because typically I know, I tend to get phone calls from these mainstream museums about when they have a black artist come in. They're like, Kalolo, we have an artist that you we think you'd be interested in. And I'm like, okay, is this person black? I just, I just cut to the chase. They're like, they're yeah. diverse. I'm like, just what? Are, where yeah. are they from? Yeah. What's their name? Yeah. Tell me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is that the reason why? Mm-hmm. I said, but I also know these white artists too. Yeah. But that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, oh, come on, people. Just yeah. what's But if you do not. A lot of this has to do with proximity too. Mm-hmm. If you don't have, if you're a white person and you do not have non-white friends, mm-hmm. how are you going to, in a work environment, have right. those conversations, right. do the programming? Right. How are you possibly going to do yeah. that? But it's not just having non-white friends, but having a group where I feel like you need more than two or three Oh, within the same concerts within the same circle because then the discussion changes and that's you know a baseline no i know but a lot of people yeah. think like oh i've got that one in a predominantly white crowd and that's you know that I'm doesn't do really all count. this pile on on yeah, them yeah and the conversation is different yeah you know? right right i i yeah that, that i that was just so exhausting for me mm-hmm. uh, so in doing this so I had this dinner where I had some you know, funders and these people from out of town and some yeah. local folks. Uh, we 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 had a dinner. It was so much fun. It was actually the weekend that Lemonade dropped. Oh, really? We all were losing our minds. It was so interesting to see these like cultural. 2016, right? That was in 2016. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And it was hilarious because once again, these cultural signifiers. Yeah. That it's like we're just doing our thing. Right. I mean, this happens in Asian American culture. Yeah. We just do these things. Yeah. And you follow specific Twitter accounts and then like yeah. everyone knows. Yeah. And so then some of these white people were like, What? What's going on here? Yeah. You know, wait, I feel a little out of it. Yeah. 
but uh, not that we were doing it intentionally. It's just like, this is what we do. Oh my gosh, it's dropping right now. Let me just yeah. stop what I'm eating because I got to go and watch this. So it was hilarious. And mm-hmm. I've always, whenever I think of lemonade and beyond, I think of some of my friends that were in Pittsburgh yeah. uh, when that happened. So it was fantastic. Needless to say, yeah. it was a great opportunity uh, of growth. Mm-hmm. And so I've had some foundations kind of say, they said, because of the work that you've been doing, we are looking and looking, you know, they look at other metrics outside benchmark and all that stuff because, you know, foundations love their studies and white papers and benchmarking. And they're always, you know, behind the curve. Right. And that's typical. You know, artists are always typically ahead of the curve. And so uh, they say, oh, we're going to kind of expand our guidelines and do these kind of things. I still am working outside the box because of the work that I'm doing and looking at these guidelines. And so I just continue to do that. So yeah. that was by any means is one of the things that I, I started. Yeah. And so uh, I had last year with the 2020 exhibition at the Carnegie Museum of Art. Did you, were you, were you, did you work on that specifically? Uh, I didn't work on putting the exhibition together. Um, Eric Crosby is the Richard Armstrong right. curator of modern and contemporary art. So he was, you know, he's a curator right, at the right. Museum of Art that put that together with Amanda Hunt, who was right. the curator, associate curator at the Studio Museum of right, Harlem. Right, right. She's now in LA, but the twenty twenty right yeah, she moved know. there. She took a job. She's hmm. back in LA. But they did this great um I thought it was really wonderful what they did as far as, you know, twenty artists from each, you know, respective collection mm-hmm. and mounting a show. But uh, so I, uh, the work that I do with By Any Means, I did programming mm, for it. And right, so right. I did three different events and they all sold out. We activated the galleries. That was something that they had not done before. And I mean, it's tricky being in the galleries because of acoustics and everything like that. But still, there's something very special right. that you don't get when you're sitting in the auditorium Absolutely. looking at a slide of the work that's in the room next door. Yeah. Uh, you can point to other works that are in dialogue. And so I had... It's more intimate, too. Yes. You know, you're not like someone on stage up above you while you're looking below at these two people talking. Yeah, you're integrated within that space. So uh, I'll be ever grateful for Eric. I mean, Eric went to bat. I mean, he... he, That that was a wonderful show. And I mean, not because I got to do some programming, but to be able to see these two collections come together, these two institutions. And I hope there's more of it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some things that, of course, with my perspective, I would have done differently, but still, I mean, that's with anything. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think that that, what what he accomplished was quite a milestone for an institution that is over a century old. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm thinking, wow, it's over a century old and we're just now doing this. Yeah. You know, and people are like, cool, you should be happy. I'm like, I am, however. Yeah. Let's not pat ourselves too hard. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the things I do. I am the acting curator at the African American Cultural Center at the August Wilson Center. That's a mouthful, but. It's. So it's not part of the August Wilson, or it is. It the is. So they're they the, the official name is the African American Cultural Center. Okay. 
And so the building is called the August Wilson oh, okay, Center. Okay, okay. I see. Yes, yeah. But it's going to be changing its name to uh I can't tell you right oh. now, <laughs> but it's a great name. Uh, you got a big funder. Uh there yeah. <laughs> Probably it's part of the person who's uh part of the name. So yeah. yeah. Uh which is fantastic. Yeah. So that's going to roll out um Probably, I don't know when you're going to release this podcast, if you are ever going to release this podcast. Oh, no, I will. But uh, I'm imagining Obama. But. <laughs> it's not going to be Obama, but um, it's the namesake of the building, quite honestly. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes so much sense. But um, it's it's going to be released in a couple of weeks. So you probably won't be releasing this. I won't start releasing them till October. Okay, yeah. So Yeah. So by the time that happens, so I'm going to say it then. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, the new name is going to be the August Wilson Cultural Center. Mm. Yeah. Costanza Romero, the wife of August Wilson, plays a, a significant role in the August Wilson Center. Mm. So she's, she's magnificent. Mm-hmm. And so Janice Burley Wilson, who's the president and CEO, uh, hired me to really build the visual arts uh, there. Mm. And so I said yes to her because I, I just totally respect her, all that she's done yeah. and her vision for the center. And so I said, well, you know, let, let's, let's, I'll spend some time in right. that space, organizing shows, getting it to where it needs to be. Right. And then to a space where a curator, uh, that, you know, is a solid person can yeah. step into that space. Right now, it's not where it needs to be. Mm. So I'm building, I'm putting that foundation in. And so um, with Janice's vision of the center, I'm able to organize these, these shows. Yeah. So I saw the most recent one that you did. The Abstract Minded or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a traveling show, and yeah. which was spectacular. I'd be able to have bring I, that show to. I love those um, August Wilson Center. I'm probably gonna it's be a weird description, but those architectural paintings with okay. perspectives. Okay, that was. Uh, but those I thought were really great. Serge Netagek's yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. very much so. I wish I, I wish I could have ha- uh, brought some of the artists in, but some of them live actually. In Africa and yeah. with the whole situation of trying to come to America right now is quite problematic. Yeah, yeah. So thankfully, the curator of the show, who was one of the artists, Osea Du, he was able to come and give a talk. Mm. And I was in conversation with him. And I just absolutely adore him. And this was his first show that he curated. And he had never met any of the artists in the show except for one, Nena Okori, who mm-hmm. was the only woman in the show. Those mm-hmm. beautiful kind of the net things. Yeah, they they looked like these organic. They looked as if they were collapsing, but also opening up right, at the same right, time, right. like they were deteriorating because she uses a lot of reclaimed material found mm-hmm. objects, mm-hmm. Um, wire, cheesecloth, that kind of stuff. And so, being able to have that show travel to the center, I mean, those are the creme de la creme artists yeah, working yeah. globally. And so to have that here was a huge, huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to hang the show the way I saw it 
was you, fan- had, you, you were able to do that? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was in two different institutions. So I first saw it at the Namdi Center mm-hmm. before I even knew I was going to do work at the August Wilson Center. Yeah. So it was arranged and it didn't have all the artwork that was in this show. Mm. And so it, that was arranged differently than, right, right. Than, um, when it was at the Dorsky Museum. Right. And then I arranged it in a different way. So I was I was nervous when OC came and he's like, oh, my gosh, I never thought to pair this with that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and then even in because in, he had some standard language, but I was able to rework some of that language as well. And also with the actual logo, there was no logo. When it was at the other two hmm. places, it was just this just text. typical font with different. Helvetica. Yeah, yeah with like <laughs> orange color. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I talked to George Namdi, who commissioned OC to do the show. Hmm. And I talked to him and OC, and I said, like, hey, do you mind if I actually have a graphic designer actually put something that's deserving right, right, of right. this body of work? Have an actual visual uh, image or yes. vision. Yeah. And the graphic designer that I work with, um, Randy Snow, was fantastic, and she did the graphics for Abstract Minded. And mm. OC and George were like, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it just deserved it. Yeah. Deserved it. So that, that was a great show. But then doing these international, national, or regional, local shows, yeah. so Naomi Chambers, her show. I saw her show. Yeah, and she did all new work. Yeah. Uh, and she um, not only did painting, because she's oil-based artist, which has the patience to work in oil, and then she did these assemblage sculptures. Yeah. I love so I loved the, uh, the pink mirror one on the floor. Oh. The one where the light's uh, shining on it, and yes. then you see the reflection. Yeah. That was my favorite. Yes, with yeah. those crystals. Yeah. Yeah, that was beautiful. Very beautiful. She's a very uh, introspective yet very socially engaged person. Yeah. Uh, very caring. So, and also she's 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 also a mother. Yeah. And just because she's a mother doesn't mean she she is this nurturing person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she is. She is. Yeah. So it was it was a real treat to be able to work with her on that and do studio visits and yeah. check in with her and yeah, work through yeah. some things with her. Yeah. And, um, I interviewed her the day that all their stuff got shipped back. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. 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 So it's, Pittsburgh's very lucky to have Naomi Chambers yeah. living here and what she and her husband, Darnell Chambers do with Flower House. Mm-hmm. So being able to organize her show, Naomi Chambers communal future was fantastic. And yeah, then, yeah. Having that third show, which was uh, Darkness Giving Life, mm-hmm. Latika Ann, who's an emerging curator, she's an artist, fashion designer, yeah. lives in Braddock. Uh-huh. So she took the uh, Art Lending Collection and she organized that show. And so we have this fledgling curatorial mentorship program mm. that um, we started and she was the first person. So. Yeah, and I, and I wanted to work with her because I was familiar with her work, and you know she's a printmaker, and what's going on in Braddock and the Braddock Library, and they are kind of like at the forefront, I think. Yeah, and I might be a little biased too because I recently joined the board there yeah, too, yeah. but I just I love what they do. Yeah, and they have the print shop, the ceramic studio, Transformasium, just the, the 
this is this family oriented staff yeah. that really drives what's happening yeah. at that at that library, and it's the first library that Andrew Carnegie actually built. Really? Yes. So that. it's the oldest Carnegie Library in mm. the country. So that's quite significant. I was there um, a few weeks ago. It's my first time there. It took me a while to get there. I remember looking at the art lending thing. I remember he, I heard about it. I heard about it. Um, first time I heard about it was the uh, 2013 International. Okay. When Transformasium was, I think, part of it. They're doing off-site stuff. I remember reading about it. But I remember standing in front of it a few weeks ago and just realizing just how radical it was to have an art lending thing, you know? Yes. You know, just it's thinking about just deconstructing and tearing down the elitism that is normally associated with art and just how cra- crazy that idea is. Matter of fact, they have blue chip artists contributing work, not just some work that is an aired, flawed work yeah. that they, it's one step close to being in the trash. Yeah. That they are going to donate it. No, right. this is work that they appreciate that they like, or it's actually, they made it specifically for the art lending yeah. library. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I mean, Henry Taylor, when he came, when he was at the International. He, he gave something? Yeah. It's it's on a cereal box. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Thad Mosley has a beautiful sculpture. So the mere fact that you can check out with your library card, if you have a library card, you can yeah. check out An artwork. artwork, yeah. So that that's spectacular. We're, we're very fortunate to have the Braddock Carnegie Library. Yeah. So. There's a lot of gems in, in, in the Pittsburgh region, but I think more people need to know about what they do because I know oh, that I mean, they have I, this. I wonder how if there's a way to do that, you know? I think, like, I'm just, like, we, when we were talking about, especially, you know, I was talking about the Watson Festival and how you didn't know about it, um, and I was just thinking, I'm not sure if it's just this city, but I just feel like finding information out in general about events to me, at least, maybe seems harder than it is when I, you know, visit New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to just type in to the Google, mm-hmm. it's like what's going on? I feel like I've never, maybe I'm just living here, so I don't even type it in. So I don't even think about it. But I, it just seems like I miss out on a lot more things than I probably should. You know what I mean? I think there's some truth to that. Like I, I like, tend like. Braddock Library isn't on any list to visit. How's mm. that? And in, in, in if you were to visit Pittsburgh. Right. You know what I mean? Like even something as simple as that. Yeah. It's like yeah. go to Match Factory, go to any World Museum, but like, right. you know. Um, go to Falling Water. Falling Water. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. I, I look at, when I look at Pittsburgh, I don't look at New York or LA. I look at like Detroit or Cleveland yeah. or Columbus Cities that are kind of like our size, right? Or post-industrial, I mean, sort right, of, sort of figuring out urban renewal right. now. We're smaller than Detroit yeah. and 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 Cleveland, but still, there's some similarities. Yeah, and I, I do find it when I go there that it's easier for me to navigate there as yeah. opposed to when folks visiting Pittsburgh. They're like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, you know, there are those kind of staples that yeah. people know about, but the Braddock Library. Even the August Wilson Center, I don't think it's on any, mm-hmm. it's not on any list. Right. People tend to, because of its location, uh, its proximity to the convention center when a lot of, with conventions and the yeah. hotels, people walk by and then they come in. They're like, oh my God, I didn't know this is here. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a huge benefit uh, to the August Wilson Center's 
location. Right. right. It's physical location. Right. But um, as Janice is building through the marketing efforts and all the programming slowly, and they're like the words getting out and there's a lot of great feedback I hear from folks, even like folks that don't even know I'm doing, you know, organizing shows there. Yeah. Just saying, yeah. even going into the space, there's the energy is different. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful space, yeah, I think. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. There's a lot of generous space in that building. Yeah. There's, you can do a lot of different things. That's why I'm looking forward to the next show, the short sh- the current show that I'm working on that's yeah, going to yeah. open in October. Yeah. It's opening October 12th, yeah. just like a lot of other Got to Got to take advantage cultures. of that. Yeah. Got to take advantage of, of the Carnegie International. Carnegie International, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about what I'm working on right now. It's a group show, 12 artists working in different um, mediums, actually disciplines as well. Uh, and that, that exhibition's called Familiar Boundaries, yeah. Infinite Possibilities. We have some people that have ties to Pittsburgh, people that are living in Pittsburgh, but then also people living in other cities across the country and also people who live and work in other continents. Right, right. So, or continent, I just say sing, singular. Right, right. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. So uh, that, that opens to the public October 12th. Yeah, we have a preview October 11th. So for the members, oh yeah, so we don't have membership, but it's going to be a ticket. You mm. buy a ticket. There's yeah. VIP, and then there's general admission, and right. so all the artists will be here. Mm. And so you know there'll be cocktails, there's drinks, food. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be some music. So it's it's going to be a lot of great energy, and some of the artists are kind of. Their careers are just kind of taking off. Emerging, burgeoning. Yeah. 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 And and some of the artists I've known, some of the artists I've watched their careers. And to be able to be in this position right now to organize this show, yeah. uh, I'm just elated about. So it's I have a lot of work on my plate right now, a lot of stuff to do, but I'm really Really excited for October twelfth. Yeah, I'm gonna animate the outside of the building, and then you mean with neon lights? Not neon lights, but with a sculpture. Okay. Yeah, so it's gonna help create, give, give the profile of the building mm-hmm. a different feel. Mm. Uh, and so that's really exciting to me because this artist, her name is Martha Jackson Jarvis. Okay, just, just had a site visit this past week. Uh-huh. So we were looking at the outside spaces and where this sculpture that it's about nine feet high will be situated. And yeah. then also some of her other works that will animate the interior yeah. as well. Yeah. So activate the space that I've longed for. Right. And every time I walk into the building and I go up the stairs and I see this space, and I'm like, ah, we get it. Somebody needs to do something about that, that those walls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, I'm that person. And, uh, you know, Janice is on board. Totally, she's on board with yeah. it. So, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to that. But like I was saying, like, yeah, this weekend I'm gonna be in the weeds reading. And, yeah, yeah. Which I love. I love reading and researching. So, yeah. Awesome. Do you have any last things that you want to talk about or that I missed? Oh boy. I don't know if you're still doing this, but you were writing a book about on Naomi Sims. Yeah, that's still a work in progress. Still, yeah. Oh yes, yeah. When I was in New York last month, I uh, he's 
basically a mentor now and a friend. You can call him my friend. Um, it, Naomi Sims's former husband, mm-hmm. who's a extremely bright person and such a warm person. And I'm so fortunate that he actually returns my emails because he's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But he's a very modest person. But anyway, for some reason, he he, he returns my emails, but yeah. I got to spend time with him. Yeah. And, you know, he already has another life. He's, I mean, Naomi Sims passed away, but they divorced in the early 90s. But um, they have a child together. He's in his, he's in just a few years younger than me. But um, I, I keep in contact with him and he's very instrumental in this book as far as sources and connecting me with people who would not give me the time of day yeah. because of their stature, you know, yeah. in, in the fashion world or art world because yeah, Naomi, yeah. not only was she a model, she was a business person and she was an art collector mm. and, you know, she was a collaborator with artists like yeah. Ray Johnson. Mm. Uh, um, she did performance art with him. He, She actually came as Anna Mae Wong uh, in one of his performance works. Mm. And this was in 1972. Mm. And these are things that a lot of people didn't know about her. Uh, and these are things that I'm unearthing right, uh, right. and putting out there in my writings. Right. So uh, when I embarked on this assignment, never did I expect to learn or discover what I've discovered. So The world felt smaller in the past. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Like I see, I remember seeing pictures of like... Was it Cy Twombly and Robert Rauschenberg just hanging out in Rome? Mm-hmm. They did a, a trip together. I'm like, how do they know each other? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like I know, I guess, I guess looking back, like you assume they knew each other, but like you don't imagine seeing Jeff Koons or Damien Hurst hanging out. Yeah, they're just like you know, you the world feels so much bigger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean Naomi and Andy Warhol. Yeah, I mean they knew each other. Yeah. I mean, she was the first black person to be on the cover of Interview magazine. Mm. And that was the only cover that Andy Warhol was on while he was alive, Mm. was in 72, the December issue of Interview magazine. Wow. And that that, that was something I didn't even think about. I I just assumed because I've seen Andy Warhol on, on the cover, but that was after he died. Right, right, right. So he put him, he made that decision to put himself on the cover. Yeah, yeah. The December issue. With Naomi Sims. Mm. I mean, come on. Yeah. And she was not the first to be on Vogue. Actually, she mentored Beverly Johnson, who was on the cover of Vogue, Mm. American Vogue, in 1974. Mm. So she paved that road for her to be on there. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm still writing that. I'm taking my time because people always ask me about it and I don't mind because sometimes people stress out about people need to stop asking me. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, thanks for checking in. I'm working on it. Yeah. It, it will, it will, it will happen. Yeah, and um, it takes, I'm also it takes time. Yeah, it does take time, yeah. and I have other things that I'm working on. But yeah. uh, that's something dear to my heart. I mean, she was from Mississippi; she was born there, yeah. and then she moved to Pittsburgh. Yeah. So there's some interesting parallels right, right. Uh, with our lives. Uh, you know, she married a white man. I'm married to a white man. So, um, so anyway, that's, there's that, and then I'm also an art commissioner for the city of Pittsburgh. And um, that has its own interesting twists and turns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, it's 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 evolving. 
Yeah, yeah. latest crisis was the uh, Stephen Foster. Yeah, yeah, right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, they, it was replaced by all the, that that other um, memorial, and then that just got vandalized. Right. Yeah, and and that was some citizen who wanted that put that up there. Oh, it wasn't that, part of that had nothing to do uh, okay. with the city of Pittsburgh. It was just people creating some type of memorial. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Uh, I have my perspective on what should, if anything be in that space. I actually don't think anything should be in that space. I think Mm. we should look holistically and expansively at how we look at public art and public art, not only in, in terms of, um, sculptures, artwork, but the art commission has to do with bridges and buildings and parks uh, and, you know, the built environment. So that, that is all encompassing. So once again, these one-offs of like, oh, let's put, you know, we removed this sculpture, so let's put a sculpture of a woman or a black woman. It's like, do we need, do we need more junk in the world? I I, I, I don't, I don't even know, like junk. I I, I just think like, why should we have like a bronze sculpture? Let's think just more thoughtfully yeah, about yeah. what we do. And I think sometimes people think, oh, we're going to miss our opportunity if we don't get this in. Yeah. Let's fight for these scraps. And I'm thinking, actually, no, we need to do better. And just because somebody in public office said, oh, let's have this commission on women, yeah. black women, yeah. I just think that was more of a knee-jerk, very performative aspects of that diversity. Mm-hmm. That we've talked about. Yeah, tokenism. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. And that's where sometimes I get pushed back. Yeah. People like saying, what do you mean? You you don't like, you know, your own people. I'm like, no, that's not what it is. It's Um, complicated. Yeah. No no one's, no race is a monolith. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. People, people within the same races, they do shit talk each other. Just yeah, I mean, and, and we all don't see the same we don't, way. Don't see eye to eye. Everyone's different. Yeah, know? yeah. But also, if you're not, uh, if you're not an art commissioner and you're, you're not listening and hearing and seeing, it's easy for somebody to be on the sidelines and make comments about, oh, because you said you didn't want it there, therefore you're against it. I never said I was against it. Yeah. Those are the kind of things, once again, with the media, how they twist yeah. things and how mm-hmm. people want to just hate on something yeah, yeah. or hate on a person. Yeah. Um, oh, you're not black enough. You're not in- this yeah. and that. So I, I've heard that before. So I listen to people, but when it kind of, for me, crosses the line when folks just make these really obscene yeah, assumptions. Assumptions. And I'm like, mm, okay, you think that way, yeah, yeah. not me. So I have years of experience of doing these things and I'm still learning as well, which is really important. Yeah. So anyway, right. I'm sure that that's uh, more than, what is it, 60 minutes? What What is yeah. it? What, what, what are uh, we here? An hour and a half. Whoa! Well, you were going to be doing some slashing and burning there. Yeah. No, it's good. I liked it. I thought it was good. Okay. Well, thank you, Kalolo. Well, thank you. Yeah, I thought it was really great. Okay. Well, I'm just so happy that you reached out because now I know another phenomenal person. Oh, thanks. Really? You're very special. Thanks, Kalilo. Yeah. Yep. So, so thank you. Thank you. 
Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.